Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. For today's text, we continue in the book of Psalms with Psalm 11. To the choir master of David, In Yahweh I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. Yahweh tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. So our intro in this psalm is that it is to the choir master. So this has been written that the congregation of God's people would sing it. Uh, essentially, it's like saying, add it to the hymnal or add it to the, the choir's um, collection of songs, hymns to be sung. And this is of David. So that tells us that David is the one who has recorded it for us. Now, our context for this psalm would appear to be the idea of battle, that David's enemies are ready to strike. And what we have then is the advisors to the king basically telling him to retreat, to give up this day, to not fight, because his enemies will kill him if he does. But David, in this prayer, In this song, David is refusing and he's acknowledging that he will seek the Lord. So in verse 1, in Yahweh I take refuge. This is true for any Christian, for all Christians. This is what we do. Yahweh is our refuge, our strength, our support. Yahweh is the one to whom we flee from the sins that burden us, the guilt that overwhelms us. He is our refuge. He is our hope. David then says, How can you say to my soul? So this is seemingly his advisors. Again, if we're putting this into that sort of a battle context, I'm trying to consider if there's another way to see this phrase, How can you say to my soul? That's not David speaking to himself. Would the Lord say such a thing to him? The Lord would not encourage his people to fear the enemy. The Lord would fight for his people. So, seeing this again as the king's advisor is probably the best way to recognize the you here in verse 1. They are advising him to flee. Like a bird. So as a bird gets scared and scatters off to its nest, its tree, wherever it lives. So David, flee to your mountain. That would be a reference to 
Jerusalem, to the holy city, the place where David has not yet built a temple, wanted to. God said, no, his son will get to do it. But has built for himself a home there. Go there. Why? Verse 2, they say, because the wicked are bending the bow and they've fitted the arrow. So in other words, they have they've mounted themselves. They are ready to attack. This is one, I mean, that imagery is one that you can easily show your children. Uh, many of you might even have a hunting bow available to you, or if you have children, maybe a Nerf bow, <laughs> something that has that, that sort of a, a an idea behind it. You can, you can show them this, or at the very least, you can pull up a picture quite easily on the internet to show to them as well. The bow is bent. That means the string has been drawn, the arrow is, is sitting on it, resting on it. All they have to do is let go and that arrow will fly. They are prepared to attack. Who are they attacking? The upright in heart, which here the advisors are suggesting is David. Note that the advisors have good intention, but they're still wrong. This verse 2 and verse 3, I guess 1b, right? Everything from the beginning of the quotation mark in 1b through the end of verse 3. Flee like a bird through what can the righteous do. That's the quotation. We are to see this as wrong advice. Their question, verse 3, is an interesting one. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So if the enemy attacks, if the enemy is able to undermine the people of God, they're able to destroy the foundations of they're probably thinking of this literally, the foundations of the city of Jerusalem. If they're not, maybe they're thinking of the king himself as being the foundation for his people. So if the king is lost, what can the righteous do? If the city is destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is fear in this question. It is a question that perhaps we can take up in a family setting, though. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let's see, how would you rephrase this question for a young child? The foundations here, I mean, we could look at it in the way we just did. If our government's destroyed, what what would the righteous do? Well, we would love and serve our neighbor. What would the faithful do? What would the Christian do? If, If our government were to fall today, we would try to bring peace in the midst of what would surely be chaotic, um, Calmness, kindness, love, charity, generosity, hospitality. If we look at the foundations as the city, again, the Christian response in in generosity. If your city is destroyed, you know, by a natural disaster, for example, what, what can the Christian do? How can we help? How can we serve? Because the foundation of our faith The foundation of the church is Christ himself, and that one cannot be destroyed. Which is why we can say, in Yahweh I take refuge, right? But that's not the advisor's picture on this. So we can take it very differently than they do. Um, It can still be an interesting question for us to consider. So verse 4, through the rest of the hymn, verse 7, is the response of the king. The, The advisors have said this, but David has said he will take refuge in his Lord, in Yahweh. He will not fear his enemy. He will, re- he will not flee to a mountain, to a palace. 
he will go to the Lord. And now he responds more strongly in that light. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. Another way to say it, our God reigns. And then we can talk to our children about that. Why is this good? What is David saying? He's not going to fear his enemy because his God lives. His God still fights for him. His God is, well, he's God. And if God is for him, who can be against him? It's interesting the phrase Yahweh is in his holy temple because David has not yet built the temple. We have the tabernacle, but we don't have the temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. So Yahweh is in his temple is the idea that God is present with us. We get to take that so much further because we know Jesus to be the true temple, right? He tells the Pharisees and such to tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They think he's talking about the building that took them decades to build. He's talking about his body. And we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word of God made flesh and dwelling among us, tabernacling among us in verse 14, as the, the Greek says. So, yeah, Yahweh is in his holy temple. God is dwelling in the midst of his people, and we have the joy of knowing that he does that for us. So what, what comfort does it give us to know that Jesus is with us? What comfort does the name Emmanuel, God with us, give to us? It's a good question to talk about as a family together. His eyes see, so the Lord knows what's happening. He knows our need, which means he's going to respond, right? The Lord does not just leave your prayer unanswered. Now, he may not answer our prayers the way we want him to, but the Lord knows our needs. He sees us. He knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows what will benefit us. He knows if suffering and affliction will be good for us today because they draw us closer to him and they strengthen our faith as we seek the Lord as our refuge. His eyelids test the children of man. That might be the most difficult uh, phrase in the psalm. We would often just stop and say God doesn't have eyelids. Okay, that's fine. I don't know what God looks like, what his appearance would be other than how the scriptures describe him. Instead, let's consider what the image is supposed to say to us. The way I consider it, His eyelids. When do you see someone's eyelids? You see their eyelids if their eyes are closed. So God's eyelids test the children of man. We fallen sinners. We look to God and we we think his eyes are closed. In other words, that he isn't looking, that he isn't paying attention. So David's advisors are tempting David to believe that the Lord is not going to fight for him. The Lord does not care. The Lord will not provide. That's the temptation that has been set before him. That is the test he faces. Instead, David turns it around. Yahweh tests the righteous. So Yahweh does test. But it isn't that he isn't watching. 
He is watching, and he's looking for faithfulness from his people. Verses 5 and 6 are going to stand in contrast to verse 7. So Yahweh tests the righteous, but here's where this contrast starts. His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So the wicked and, and the violent one are separated out as two different classes, but they're, we can probably look at them in some ways as synonymous to one another here. The Lord hates them. This is deeper than what we talk about typically in the Christian church today where we say, hate the sin, love the sinner. The Lord specifically here is said to hate the sinner, the one who rebels against him. Now, he died on the cross, right? Jesus died on the cross to save the wicked and the violent. But if they remain hardened in their unbelief against the Lord, he will judge them. He will bring that upon them. And that's what David, in a way, is praying for in verse 6. Let him rain coals on the wicked. So David praying for God's judgment to fall on them. And it's a harsh picture, the idea of burning coals. So if you've got a charcoal grill and you've lit the coals and, and you think about how hot that gets, and you know, you warn the kids, don't touch it, it's hot, you'll get hurt. It's like pouring that over somebody. Fire and sulfur. David is praying for God's judgment to come upon these people, that it would be the portion of their cup. Jesus describes the cup as death, right? Um, Take this cup from me, he prays in the garden, and the suffering he's about to endure. As he talks to James and John, as they ask him that they would get the highest places of honor in his new earthly kingdom that he isn't actually establishing, but they say, let us sit at your right and at your left when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I drink? They answer quite quickly, yes. And Jesus shares with them that they will, because they too will be killed for their faith in Christ. So we get the cup idea there, the judgment of God, the death of these people. All right, then we get the contrast. So the first part of verse 7 contrasts verse 5. Yahweh hates the wicked. Yahweh is righteous. Yahweh loves righteous deeds. So righteousness as opposed to wickedness. Wickedness is doing evil, doing things that the Lord despises. Righteousness is doing what the Lord has given us to do, obeying his word, following his commandments. The upright shall behold his face. So rather than drinking the portion of their cup in fire and sulfur, the lake of fire and sulfur being a reference to hell in the New Testament, the upright will behold his face. The faithful will see God and live. We will get to be with him in paradise forevermore. It's as Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives And my eyes, not another, shall behold him. I shall see my Savior face to face. I've got that kind of as a paraphrase there. I didn't read it from from Job's book, but those are words familiar to us. We will get to see our Savior face to face because he is faithful. And in him, we take refuge. Praise me.